Welcome back to part two of our podcast series on myths in the dietary supplement industry and myth busting of those uh, those particular myths. So uh, I'm Dr. Alan Miller from Thorne, and my guest is Dr. Bob Roundtree. We talked before in part one about some interesting subjects like expensive urine and uh, RDAs and certain supplements that that um, myths are that they're not safe. So we're going to talk a little bit more about some other subjects here, and uh, let's get going. Let's look at the industry as as a whole. And we've we've talked about um, supplements in general. Let's talk about the supplement industry. The myth that I keep hearing repeated uh, over and over again, many times, it's by people who are in the regulation uh, business, in that you know lawmakers and and such, that say this industry is not regulated. The supplement industry, it's the wild, wild west. It's not a regulated industry. Well, if that's the case, why is it that what makes the news are these products that get adulterated where people get sick, right? But, that makes the news. Why? It makes the news because it's so unusual, right? It, it's the standouts are the problems. And so people say, oh, gee, you've got these these supplements that are for, say, male health, and they turn out to be adulterated with Viagra. Right. Well, those products don't last very long in the market. Right. They don't last long because they they get they get found out and rooted out very quickly. Well, there's the other argument here that from the industry side, there's the argument that, well, those aren't those are not supplements anyway. Those are black market drugs that are disguised as a supplement and then put out into the market and then they get found out. FDA says uh, there's a drug in there and it especially happens with male enhancement type products with weight loss products and with. Uh, athletic performance type products. Yep, those are the yep. those are the three big ones. Um, but as far as the the industry itself being being totally unregulated, um, that's just nonsense. That's absolute. That the only person that would say that has never even really investigated this. They just they said that without even trying to find out whether it was true or not. They just heard it was true. That's that is what we call fake news. Those are that really is fake news. How, however, some of those people that propagate that uh, have have heard that from somebody that's a politician, somebody that's a that's a lawmaker that doesn't understand it either. So what what I try to get across is that it, it's very regulated. It's highly regulated. Uh, FDA does regulate our entire industry. What isn't what's different about supplements and drugs uh, is that drugs have to go through a process of pre-market approval. Before they go in the market, they have to go through a process, studies, supposedly studies in safety, and we've seen some of that go awry. Um, But they have to go through that process first, whereas supplements can enter the marketplace. If they are found to be unsafe, they can certainly be pulled off, and the FDA can do that. Absolutely. And and I think that's a good thing. I mean, if, you know, what's the biggest issue with pharmaceuticals these days? The expenses have gone through the roof. And and uh, from what some people will say is, yes, they have to have pre-market approval, but you quite often find out after they hit the market that there are problems with them, yep. uh, and they end, end up getting pulled. I mean, how many um, how many blood pressure medicines have you seen get recalled permanently uh, in the last six months? Yeah, because yep. of their cancer, their increased cancer risk. Yeah. So. Yep. Just because they go through that process doesn't mean that they're that they're totally safe. Um, let's look at let's look well, at. Well, I mean, uh, I just point out, you know, when people yeah. talk about the safety thing, it's like, 
you know, I always say anybody can react to anything, right? So whether we're talking about a drug or a supplement, you know, people can have allergic reactions. They, they can have what we call idiosyncratic reactions. So there's nothing that we eat, consume, uh, no, no home consumer products that are totally safe, right? And I bring that up because, you know, every now and then you'll hear about somebody that had a bad reaction to a vitamin. They go, see, this is unsafe. The question is, how often does that happen? You know, when you talk about the population at large and the fact that people are taking millions and millions of people are taking supplements. And the, the incidence of reactions is actually very, very small compared to the incidence of reactions to drugs, which are extremely high. I mean, that's side effects from drugs are expected, right? They're so normal that you go, yeah, that's what happens. And when you look at the drug industry data about, oh uh, gosh, what's the, what's the number? Nine, is it 90,000 uh, deaths per year from pharmaceuticals that are used correctly? Yes. Well, it's like the third leading cause of death, isn't it? And when you look at the number, if you look at the FDA database on supplement safety, uh, what you find is that there have been a handful of deaths that have been attributed to supplements. Handful. So, handful. so don't you call and, that gaslighting or yeah, yeah. You know, changing the subjects like, okay, let's talk about how bad supplements are. And that will get people's attention off the fact that drugs are causing all these deaths, even when used correctly. And the other part of that is food safety. Uh, you are much more likely to die from a food, from a food poisoning, uh, than you are from taking a supplement or a drug. Yes. So the, the industry being unregulated, um, I'd say That's we can a put, a, put a big pin in that. Uh, you know, we say you know, we're regulated by FDA. They regulate the entire industry. The FDA also audits, inspects uh, every uh, supplement manufacturer to make sure that they're complying with the what are called CGMPs, current good manufacturing practices uh, yeah. that, that the FDA has put out there for the industry. Uh, and if you're not following those, you can get put out of business. So okay. I, I think it's important for people to realize, you know, if they are looking at dietary supplements, there are fly-by-night companies out there that try to either avoid the rules or bend the rules. And so it's really important to to go with the company that's been that's well established, that's transparent, that's been there, been around for a long time, because generally, you know, the ones that have survived are the ones you can trust. Let's move on. Uh, I've got a few more. Calcium gives you kidney stones. How about that one? I'm not exactly sure where that came from. I think there were some studies that suggested that for a while, but um, I think it's the, you know, oxalates may be more of a problem. Dietary oxalates are a problem with kidney stones more than calcium. And, and right? what In do fact, you I think there was one like? study that said dietary calcium actually prevented kidney stones. I've seen that and I've seen that um, the, the citrate form of calcium and magnesium also is preventative of kidney preventive. stones. Preventive, yep, preventive. And then there's the whole thing about vitamin C causing kidney stones. Well, that, I've not ever seen that in my, in my practice. But I occasionally put people on a lower oxalate diet. Because those... The, the most stones are calcium. So I think the reasoning is um, the stones are calcium oxalate. Therefore, it must be the calcium that you ate. That made that happen but the body very carefully controls the amount of calcium that it excretes 
So that's that's a bit of an assumption. That's a big a bit of a leap to say that a uh, a stone, since it contained calcium, must be because you you took calcium or or you have calcium in your diet or too much calcium. Well, it's the same reasoning. So uh, yesterday, uh, a patient uh, came in the office and said, "Well, I I saw um, this other doc who told me I should stop all calcium supplements because that increases plaque in the arteries." Well, because you find calcium in there's some of those plaques, plaque, but you find calcium. Right, so in there's an assumption. <laughs> like you know, if you got an early uh, inflammatory lesion in the breast, then you can get calcifications there. Or if there's inflammation in the lungs, you get calcifications. Well, that has nothing to do with the calcium you ate. Um, there was a group out of, uh, I believe, University of Auckland. Um, don't remember the name, but there was a couple of docs who published the, some papers, nutritional epidemiological research, that suggested that dietary calcium may increase the risk of heart attacks. That was thoroughly disproven in several papers, and one in particular by Robert Haney when he was still alive. He was, Haney was one of the world's experts on, on calcium, and, you know, he completely blew that myth that the dietary calcium or supplements increased atherosclerosis. That, that's simply not true. Now, what, what may be true, though, is uh, people not getting enough vitamin K in their diet or not, yes. making, or not making enough of it in their uh, large intestine from the microbes that are there. Um, that, that may have an effect on how our body regulates calcium though, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not sure that would be, I mean, I, I, I do recommend, uh, vitamin K supplements for people that have, uh, coronary, uh, calcifications or atherosclerosis in general. I think vitamin K is a great idea, but that's, that's, changing what that's doing it's altering the calcium that's in circulation that's coming from your bones if you think about when people say oh i'm worried about dietary calcium well what about all that calcium in your bones you know uh, your your bone what's your bone weight like five to ten percent of your body weight something like that and that's yeah. all calcium crystals so you're you know you're already kind of a big bundle of walking calcium that, so which, taking which a few hundred milligrams in your diet, that's yeah. nothing compared to the calcium that's already there. And your body regulates that really tightly. Very if, tightly. If you're looking at a blood test and you're looking at the calcium in the blood and it's high or low, out of range, that person's usually pretty sick, right? Yes. So vitamin K can help as the way I look at it, vitamin K can work um, with vitamin D. Vitamin D helps you absorb your calcium along with, you know, myriad other things. Um, and then vitamin K can help uh, act as sort of a traffic cop and saying, calcium, I need you to go over here. I need to bank you in the bone. I need you to come over here into these other tissues to do other things. It's trying to get away from the simplicity, the simplistic kind of a view of, you know, vitamin D only helps you absorb calcium. Vitamin K only helps you clot, right? Because vitamin K is very important in our blood's ability to clot. Yeah. Okay, well, that brings up another question. Often people are told that they should not take any vitamin K supplement, and, and they're actually told not to not to eat green leafy vegetables because they can create vitamin K in your intestines um, if they are on Coumadin. Can you talk about the rationale of that, and and does that make sense? Well, Coumadin's a vitamin works by antagonizing vitamin K. 
And so the worry is, well, you're going to undo the benefits of the Coumadin if you, you know, if you eat green leafy vegetables. So I have had patients that were told, no more green leafy vegetables the rest of your life. You know, you've got a, now you've got an artificial valve in place and we can't risk a clot. And so cut out all kale from now on. That is just, that is so absurd. Why? Because when, when you do that, that sets you up for coronary calcification. And I've seen it. I've seen people that were, that, that were on Coumadin for years that have rip-roaring coronary atherosclerosis with lots of calcium-laden plaque, right? How are we going to avoid that? You know, so you go, okay, I kept you from having a, from dying from a blood clot, but I'm actually going to induce atherosclerosis. That doesn't make any sense. I'm, you know, I'm the short term, I'm going to keep you alive, but you know, this, this intervention may actually accelerate your death. So what um, do you do? So the way around that is to basically get on a set amount of, of green leafy vegetables or even better, a set amount of vitamin K from the get-go when you're starting the Coumadin, right? And what that does is it provides a kind of standardized background for adjusting the Coumadin dose. So the Coumadin can still do its thing in uh, interfering with the vitamin K activity in blood clotting. Right. But then but vitamin not K... In, not in terms of calcification. So the K is still available to other tissues to work as that traffic cop for calcium. That's exactly right. So, you know, and that's not hard to do. I've done it in patients. Um, the tricky scenario is if somebody's already stabilized on Coumadin um, and then, you know, they come to see an integrative doc who says, gee, have you had a, a, a coronary calcium scan? No, my doc never recommended that. Oh, well, maybe you want to find out what your risk is for having an MI. So we do a coronary calcium scan. They've got a super high calcium score and you go, I think vitamin K is a good thing for you. Um, well, how much do you give them? You know, I, I, um, I do engage in that kind of uh, intervention with people. And so what I would do is probably start with like 45 micrograms uh, of MK7, you know, which is the, the natto derived vitamin K. Start with 45 micrograms, you know, do that for a week or two, recheck the INR, or bump up to 90 micrograms. So do it really slowly and just adjust the Coumadin dose as needed. And, not and that hard, really. This is not rocket science. What I would say for uh, our listeners who maybe aren't practitioners, um, this would not be something that you would want to be uh, doing a DIY kind of a, of, an, of a situation with you. This is something you really want to work with your doctor on. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the point I was trying to make is like you yeah. need to, you don't want to just start vitamin K from Coumadin. You need to have your blood tested regularly like every week. Um, but it's worth the effort. So it's worth finding a doc who's willing to work with you on that. And the INR is a simple blood test that just tells you how well that Coumadin is working uh, as far as preventing your blood clotting, right? Right. It's called the International Normalized Ratio. and it, Which I've never understood why yeah, it was called it, that. It basically, so what you typically measure in somebody on Coumadin is called the prothrombin time, you know, which is a, a, an indicator of how thin the blood is. And the INR is a way of, of normalizing the prothrombin time from lab to lab because every lab is a slightly different way. 
So uh, it's a it's a better standardization, uh, better standardized test than uh, just just doing that prothrombin time. Yes. Okay, we've got one one more question, one last question here, and it's about supplements and supplement ingredients and the worldwide supply of those ingredients. Um, this myth is that ingredients aren't safe if they come from outside the United States. If let's from from China, for instance. I mean, the first thing I would say is if, if you're not going to use something because it came from China, you better get over it quick. A lot of things are going to come from China, like it or not. It's just the way it is. And so now you have to say, well, if I am going to get it from China, what kind of quality control is there? Well, just like in the United States, there's good companies and bad companies. You can't lump them all together. So, you know, you can't avoid some ingredients coming from China just because everything is part of a worldwide chain right now. But how do you know? How do you um, know a, a good company from a bad company, a good ingredient from well, a bad ingredient? a good ingredient, ingredient company tests test every step of the way. Test for purity, test for contaminants, test for stability. You know, those things are not that hard to do. So any good company is going to be doing that. Any good company is going to tell you the source of everything in their supplements. Where did you get this from? Where did you get that from? What I uh, frequently tell people, um, and I don't say this flippantly, but they, uh, when somebody asks what part of the world does something come from, um, th my answer is it doesn't matter. Now, it, it may matter for other reasons, political reasons, or, uh, or other things, but as far as the purity of the substance and the identification of the substance and such, um, you can certainly um, trust but always verify. And really that's what Thorne is, is always, always what we've done is uh, even if it's, if it's somebody that we've done business with for a long time, we still, yes, we trust them, but we verify. We do things like you were talking about. We do uh, analytical testing to, to identify that substance to make sure it is what it says it is. Uh, we do microbiological testing to make sure there aren't any contaminants. We look at other contaminants like solvents and pesticides and things, that, things of that sort. Uh, so that we can make absolutely sure, no matter where it comes from in the world, that it meets our specifications. Uh, so that's that's the big thing, is having very strict specifications in the first place, and then testing to make sure that the, whatever ingredient from wherever fits into that. Yeah, again, uh, if people are saying, I only trust supplements that come from North Carolina, <laughs> I mean, you're not going to find many products that meet your criteria. The other side of that is that if an ingredient comes from the U.S., it must be good. And you can't say that either. So Not at uh, all. It's, it's always trust but verify in my book. Yep. Um, I think that's probably the end of our time here, Bob. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I hope you'll come back and we'll do some more of these types of things in the future. Um, I think it's very helpful for people to understand uh, the, the myths and uh, how some of those myths just don't make any sense. So. Absolutely. And they some of them have perpetuated for years and years. So we got to well, keep answering them the same way. I'm glad that we've both been a part of uh, busting through some of those and giving people the truth. Thanks again, Bob. And uh, we'll talk to you again. You bet. Take care, Alan. <laughs>